prodigal, excessive, arrogant, and reckless. But, but I'm not reckless. I'm not the one who made the mess. Everything that had to get done, I did it. Everything my father asked me to do, I carried it out. I endured hard work and sleepless nights. I was practically a living sacrifice for my father. And I could have asked for my share. I could have went, had a good time, and partied out there like my brother. But he's gonna come crawling back. And he'll see that this whole thing belongs to me. Because I put in the work. I put my hand to the plow, I gained the wit, the wisdom, the knowledge, the know-how to raise this place like my father did. Because I was raised as my father's kid. And God, I've been reading the scriptures, and you told me to honor my father and my mother. But I'm thinking, where on earth is my brother? You know, when he comes back, there will be a celebration, a lot of congratulation for being the son who turned out the way my father wanted him to be. But did my father ever love me? Because this anger, this anger has made me toxic. Because he wasn't here when my father got sick. Because he wasn't here to raise the calves, to groom the crops, to gain the money he has. That money. My money was supposed to make me rich. You were supposed to be here for all of this. They called you prodigal. And I don't think you know what that means. You're excessive, you're arrogant, you're reckless, you're reckless, you're reckless, you're reckless, you're reckless, you're reckless, you're reckless! Maybe. Maybe they were talking about me. I think that most of us who've had siblings can genuinely relate to the emotion in the Elder Brothers video just now. Seriously, it's like, I bet some of you have felt, maybe even said, very similar things to what he just said. After all, in most families, there are always the good kids and the bad kids, right? And so, I'm so glad that you're here. If you're a guest, welcome to Northridge. We're one church that meets in four locations, so I want to give a shout-out to our regional campus, especially right now, Northridge Brighton. So glad you're there. You're live-streaming with us right now. And then, all around the world, we have just a ton of people live-streaming, so welcome as well. But I want to include you, so everybody participate. How many of you would say that, growing up, you were considered the good kid in your family? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you would say you hated the ones that just raised their hands? Yeah. All right, you were the, you were the bad kids of the family. I, I have to tell you, I, I was considered the bad kid. We, I have three brothers, family of four boys, no sisters, no girls, and uh, my three brothers could really be called good. They really were just good kids. And I, I just wanted to be successful, and I felt like the only way I could be successful was by going a different direction. And um, I became the bad kid. I was born demon-possessed. My parents thought about changing my name to Damien, but uh, I was definitely the black sheep. But whatever role you played in your family, wherever you're at in life right now, you can find yourself in Jesus' story of the prodigal. And if you're like me, the truth of 
of the story will really impact how you see yourself, not just the history of yourself, but your present story, your life today, and not just today, but even in the future. This story can change everything about how you see yourself, but not just yourself. In this story, I believe you can be impacted how, in how you see others, in, in how you see, quite frankly, and maybe even most importantly, your relationship with God himself, the Father. But to get there, I think we have to understand the context of this story and the context, uh, the setting in which we find Jesus teaching this story is Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 through 10. And I'm not going to read all of them. I encourage you to read all of them on your own. But, but we see in these verses the context and we find that context provides everything to truly understanding the impact of this story. There were two very divided groups around Jesus one day. In fact, during his entire ministry and leadership on this planet. The, the two groups were, first of all, those who were irreligious. They had, they had rejected the religion of their culture, their day, by their choices in life. They had become publicly rebellious against it. They didn't even try to live it. They lived very different lives. And then there were the people also gathered around Jesus in his ministry and teaching who were considered the religious. These are the people who who bought into the culture of their religion, the moral standards. They, they met in synagogue, they opened the scriptures, and they proclaimed that they were living it. And it was with these two groups of people gathered around Jesus, hating each other, divided from each other, wanting nothing to do with each other, one group considering themselves the good, the other accepting that they were, were the bad, that Jesus then told them this story. And you need to know the religious people truly did despise the religious. And so they couldn't figure out why Jesus, who claimed to be a rabbi, who claimed to be close to God, they couldn't understand how in the world he could hang out with these bad people. And so they asked him that question. To which then Jesus answers by giving three stories. The three stories begin in Luke chapter 15, verse 4, and the first story is the story of, of the lost sheep. And he goes, you want to know why I'm hanging around with these people? Look at Luke 15, verse 1. It says, now tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable, and, and he goes into these three parables, these three stories. The first is the lost sheep in verses 4 through 7. And he, he says there's a shepherd, and he has 100 sheep, but he loses one. And so he leaves the 99 that he has, and he disrupts his entire life, changes all the goals of that day to go out and find that one sheep, because that sheep matters to him. And when he finds the sheep, he tells everybody how happy he is. He rejoices, and he throws a party. And then Jesus says, you want to know why I'm hanging around with these people? You need to know that this is how heaven looks at these people, just like the shepherd who lost the sheep. Heaven rejoices when they come home. Are you kidding me? They matter to God. That's why I'm hanging around with these people. But he doesn't stop there because they didn't listen very well. And, and so he tells another story, the story of the lost coins, and tells of a woman who had 10 silver coins. That's all she had to her name, and she lost one of those. Well, obviously, that coin mattered deeply to her, very valuable. So she disrupted her entire day turned it upside down to find this coin and when she found the coin man she rejoiced and told all of her friends and then Jesus says you want to 
you want to know why I'm hanging around with these people? It's because they matter to God, just like that coin mattered to this woman, and, and they're lost. They're far from home, and so, so I'm going to hang around these people, do everything I can in my power to bring them home. That's why I'm hanging around with them. And then he gets really personal by telling a third story. And we commonly know this story as the, the story of the prodigal son, maybe even better. Con traditionally, it's known as the story of the lost son. And it's in chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. But here's where it gets fun for us. I mean, you came because you knew this was going to be fun, right? This is where it gets fun for us. The, the common traditional description of this story that follows the lost sheep and the lost coin stories, the common description is not accurate. This is not the story of the lost son. It's not that story. And I know that's probably how you've heard it. This is why context is so important. This is why really digging into the, the situation and setting of the story is so important. It's not about one lost son. It's about two sons. You're going to see it as I read it in just a second. And it's not about one son who was bad and the other that was good and trying to figure out why Jesus was hanging around with the bad. It's not about that at all. It's about two sons who were both very lost. Two sons who were both very messed up in very different ways and yet both messed up and yet still supremely loved by their father. Just like the coin and just like the sheep. Not looked at as good and bad, but looked at as lost and messed up and hurting and broken, broken, still loved and still valued and still wanted. This is a story for us. This is a story about us and our relationship with God. This is a story about how to live life. And so with that as the context, let's look at the contrast of these two sons, the well-known one, the prodigal, the younger, and the less well-known, the elder, his brother. Luke 15, verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons, both lost, lost sheep, lost coin, lost sons. He first goes into the description of the younger son in verses 12 through 24, and he says, the first son was lost publicly. Everyone knew this guy was lost. He was openly rebelling against the father. He openly left the father. It was no secret. He couldn't hide it. He lived it extrovertedly. He was very overt about it. He was, he, I mean, everything about him was against the father. He thought life would be better without the father in it. We looked at this last week, and if you missed it, please, this is an important story. We give it away online. Go to northridgechurch.com and, and check out the talk on the younger son. But this guy ultimately came home and he came home different than when he left. He left thinking that life would be better without the father in it. And, and he came home knowing that without the father in it, his life was nothing, empty, miserable. And he, in fact, he never thought he could be a son again with all the son privileges. He thought he could only be maybe a servant in his father's house. But he knew the father was so important that he wanted to be a servant in his father's house rather than being independent on his own out there. He came home broken knowing he's messed up, knowing he didn't deserve to be a son, and that's when he actually, for the very first time, experienced the unbelievable pleasure and joy of being a son, when he finally knew he didn't deserve it and how much he needed it. But then Jesus goes on with the lesser-known part of 
the story about the elder brother. The elder brother, everyone thought, was the good son, you know, how we do. The one who did everything right, the one who loved his father and had the right kind of heart towards his father and, and was disappointed in his brother, but that's not true at all. Jesus tells us the elder brother was one who, though on the outside it looked like everything was right, that he was the good son, on the inside he was secretly just as rebellious as the younger. He was privately rebellious. He privately despised the father in fact on his inside he rebelled against the father he was filled with anger against the father and bitterness and hatred towards the father he was secretly at a great distance from the father even though he was still at home just so you know this part of the story which most of us don't know so well i'm going to read it to you look at luke 15 starting with verse 25 the younger son came home and the father spent lavishly to celebrate the coming home of the younger son and you need to know the older son thought that was now his money that was his inheritance it belonged to him and the older son was in the field and when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called one of the servants and asked him what what's going on well your brother's come home he replied and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's come back safe and sound he's throwing a party baby Got to know the languages to get there, but you get the idea. <laughs> Says the older brother became angry. Now that's not the reaction of a good son. It's not the reaction of a son who has the father's heart. Jesus is the reaction of a good son. He loves these people because the father loves them. And so he gets angry and refuse to go in to refuse the father is to say my will is better than you I make better decisions than you my way is better than your way I know more than you know he refused to go in so his father went out because his father's a father of grace and love and he pleaded with him but he answered his father look he didn't he didn't reverence his father he didn't respect his father he I mean, what was secret finally comes out. Look you is the idea. Look you. You don't know anything. All these years I've been slaving for you. I don't love you. I don't care about you. I'm not here because I value you. I, I value your stuff. And I thought the only way I could really get what was mine if I stay here and slave for you. You see, he too thinks that he would be better off without the Father. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. And you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, not someone I care about, when this person who doesn't even matter, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. And by the way, can I just mention, Jesus never said anything about prostitutes with the younger brother. Where's this coming from? Could it be it's coming more from the desires and heart of the elder son than the reality of his younger brother? When this son of yours, who doesn't even matter, that you're hanging around with and you're spending lavishly on, comes home after squandering everything that should be mine with prostitutes, you spend lavishly on him. And the father said, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead. But we found out he's alive again and he was lost and now he's found just like the sheep and just like the coin and that matters to God and it should matter to anyone who loves God 
Though this guy stayed at home, he was just as distant from the father as the younger son was. Like the younger, you just read it with me. He literally disgraced his father, disrespected his father. Look you, he defied his father, he dismissed his father, he refused to have anything to do with his father. He thought his father was in his way. Like the younger, this guy didn't love the father. He actually, because he thought he had stayed home and been the good son, even though he didn't care about the father, he had done everything he was supposed to do so he could get the father's stuff. He thought life would be good with, with the God's stuff. Who cares about the father? He, he felt entitled to it. It's mine. He felt owed, like he could leverage the father. This is mine. I've worked for it. He felt mistreated because now the father wasn't asking him what to do. He felt used. He felt cheated. The reason he hated his brother, when you really look at this, the reason he hated his brother so much is that he was jealous of him. He got to go have fun. And I had to stay here and slave for you. You owe me. Though he stayed home, he wanted to leave. He too felt like his life would be better without the father in it. He too was looking for happiness and fulfillment in the father's stuff, not by being with the father. He thought the father was holding him back. He felt like a slave instead of a privileged son. Now to really get this, I have to ask you a question. Are you ready? Who did he love most in the world? Okay, that was... We read about muttering in this text already. Who was at the center of his life? Himself. He was. Who do you love most? Himself. Though he stayed home, he looked like a good son on the outside. But the truth is that he only stayed home for himself to get what he wanted, the father's stuff. The younger brother loved himself most, and so did the elder. The younger brother put himself at the center of his life, so did the elder. They're exactly the same. Neither one of them wanted to please the father. The truth is both of them wanted the father to please them. Do what I want. The younger said, give me my inheritance now. And the older said, I'll stay here, but you're going to give me everything I'm owed later. You're on my agenda. You owe me now. And when the father failed to deliver on what he thought he was owed by forgiving the younger son, by taking what the elder son thought was his and throwing a party with it for the younger, he flew off the handle. His secret heart became a public heart. And he, here's the reality. Please get this. Proximity is not the same thing as intimacy. Just because he stayed home doesn't mean he loved or walked with the father any differently than the younger. Proximity is not the same thing as intimacy. Yes, he stayed home, but he was just as far away from the father as his younger brother. And in the end, the father had to come looking for him just as he did for the younger. They were both at a distance. Both sons were messed up, and because they were distant from the father, both sons were miserable. And so you've seen the context, and you've seen the contrast. Now... Let's look at the conclusion, understanding that this is all just the introduction of my talk. <laughs> wow. You're going to get more than you paid for. Here's the conclusion. 
though profoundly different, these two brothers, they had the same messed up heart. One looked like the good son, but was no different than the one who looked like a bad son. They both had a messed up heart. They both were trying to build their kingdoms, follow their will, and use the father to get there. They thought life would be better their way than the father's way. Now it's in light of this that it's important to realize, remember who Jesus was really talking about in this story, right? The young son represents the irreligious crowd hanging around Jesus. You know, the tax collectors and sinners. The bad people. That's who the younger son represents. Everybody recognize him. He's, his heart is bad publicly. He makes no secret about it, and so was theirs. The elder son represents the religious crowd that was gathered around Jesus. You know, the Pharisees and the teachers. They looked like the good sons. They looked like they were doing everything right. They, they were going to synagogue, church every week. You know, they were opening the Bible and praying and giving and doing all the stuff. That's who they were. And they were the ones hating on Jesus and hating on the irreligious crowd. And in telling this story, Jesus wanted these angry, jealous, and hateful religious people who looked like the good sons and felt they were the good sons and felt like God owed them, he wanted them to know that they were no different from the irreligious people that they hated. They too had messed up hearts. Here's the truth. I think it's important that we get it. Because, you know, we have both groups here, right? Here's the truth. A bad heart always leads us away from the Father. A bad heart always leads us away from the Father, whether we're religious or irreligious, whether we're publicly rebelling against God and dismissing him or privately angry with God and dismissing him. A bad heart always leads us away from the Father. And the Bible tells this truth. Look at Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Whether you're close or far away, whether you're religious or irreligious, it's from your heart that everything flows. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. What is pride? It's an attitude of the heart. What did the younger son have? Pride. I'm going to do what's good for me. I'm going to do what I want. I want you to give me my inheritance now. I'm going to find life the way I want to find life. And he was at the center of his life. He loved himself the most. And what about the elder brother? He had himself at the center. He loved himself first. He was building his kingdom. He was having his way. He thought his life would be better without the father. Both were absolutely filled with pride in their heart. And both fell in speaking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law directly, in Matthew 15, verse 18, Jesus said, these people, you know, the religious people who were hating on Jesus and hating on the bad people, the tax collectors and sinners, these people honor me with their lips. Oh, they look like the good children. But their hearts are far from me. 
Oh, they show up at church. They raise their hands. There's every outward indication that they're doing the right thing. It's just one thing. Their hearts are far from me. Now, it's time to remember the context again. Jesus is telling the story because of the question the religious crowd asked him. This is why it's weird, isn't it, that the lesser known, the younger son who represents the irreligious is the more famous. When the story is really meant to answer the question asked by the religious, which means the elder son is, is the driving point of this story because there are always more elder sons in gatherings like this than, than younger sons. And Jesus is telling the story because of the question that religious crowd asked. And the question was, why are you hanging around with these bad people? And Jesus' answer in these stories was simply to say this. Well, I'm hanging around with these bad people for the same reason I'm willing to hang around you. God loves lost, messed up people like them and like you. And because God loves them, I love them. And because God loves you, I love you. And because heaven rejoices when the lost come home, I'm doing everything I can to make it possible for them to come home and for you to come home. In fact, soon I'll be hanging on a cross for you. That's why I'm hanging out with these people there's another answer I'm hanging out with them because they've realized that they're undeserving sons and they've come home and I'm not hanging around with you because you still think you're better than them and don't need God but that God owes you in your synagogues and in your churches the reason I'm not hanging out with you is because you're still running away from me out you glad you came? Woo! Here's what I want you to see. In the way Jesus tells the story, he's actually presenting them with the real question. And here's the real question. You say you're the good sons. You say that you're the ones who love God. You say you're the ones that are doing right. So why don't you care about these people? And the answer is simple, because though you're religious, though you've stayed close to home, you're nothing like the Father. Your heart is far from him, just like theirs was. Can I ask you a question? Where's your heart? And don't give me, well, I'm in church, what do you think? The elder brother was in church too. Look to your left, look to your right, he's here, he's you, possibly. I have to tell you, I'm very often the elder brother. Here's the application. If you want to renew your relationship with the Father, if you really want to walk closely with the Father, if you want to experience the privileges of, of living in his promises then you, we, need a new heart. It's not others who need a new heart, it's we who need a heart. 
Whether we're religious or irreligious, our heart's bad. David was a king in Israel whom God had high praise for. God actually said, he's a man after my own heart. And yet David, like all of us, had seasons where he was at a distance from God and made really, really bad choices. And one time when he was coming back from some very bad choices in his life, big failures, he, he was praying in Psalm 51 and confessing it. And, and he knew that if he was going to walk with God again, renew his relationship with God again, he needed a new heart. So look what he prays in Psalm 51.10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Give me a new heart. That's what we need don't need to do more we need a new heart in Matthew chapter 12 verse 33 Jesus says the same thing straight out using trees of all things as examples of us he says make a tree good and its fruit will be good make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit here's what he's saying if you're going to be a good child you need a new heart And here's the great news of Jesus. It's why he came. To give us a good new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is, is here. He gives us a brand new heart. It's, it's why he died for us. The wages of our sin is death, but he paid the penalty. It's why he rose, because by rising he could give us a brand new heart, a brand new life. And, and in him we have that new life. A bad heart always leads away from the Father, which is why if we're ever going to truly experience the heart, it's not about religion or irreligion, it's about a new heart. Do you have it? Now, there are some things you need to know. I, I know I, I've really needed to contemplate them so that I could keep my heart right. And think if the story is going to have full impact in your life, you need to know these things. The first is that the elder son's heart is more dangerous than the younger son's heart. Now, it's no worse because a bad heart's a bad heart and it leads away from the father, but, but the elder son's heart is more dangerous because it's easier to hide. It's easier to miss. It's easier to justify. This guy felt justified. I've done everything right. I've stayed here. I've slayed for you. And even though his heart was bad, he was justifying his behavior. And when you have the elder son's heart, it makes it a lot less likely that you'll come home because think about it. We don't seek help until we know we have a problem. And he didn't think he had a problem. And you know, many people who sit in settings like this think that they're the better than everyone else. We, we're here, others aren't. And yet, we're at the center of our lives just as much as anyone who's not here. I know I have to deal with this. In the story, the elder son doesn't know he has a problem, so he doesn't come home. Isn't it interesting? The well-known prodigal son who's considered the bad son is the one who came home. And the lesser-known elder son, whom everybody thinks was the good son, never did come home. Who's really the messed-up child? Was the one sitting in synagogue all along. The one opening their Bible in the morning all along. The one teaching it all along. Isn't that crazy? It's a danger for me. And I know this danger from firsthand experience. 
I'm just trying to be honest with you. I started my life as a mirror image of the younger son. I mean, I was black, black, black sheep. But I'm going to tell you, I came home and I experienced the celebration of God putting his robe on me and welcoming me home as a child. It was one of the most life-transforming times of my entire life. I came home. It was unbelievable. So much did it change me that I decided I wanted to live the rest of my life for him. And so I set aside all my vocational dreams and all of my life dreams so that I could do what I do right now and I could share truth with other people so that I could, like Jesus, help them to come home. But, you know, I've given so much to this cause that there are times, seasons, where I become too much like the elder son. I mean, I've given everything to him. But you know, there are times my life goes very wrong. I work really, really hard to try and reach people, and often instead of reaching people, I'm, you know, rejected by people. And things don't go my way. My dreams aren't coming true. And there are times I get to this place where I'm just disappointed with God. I've given my life for you. Can't you... Can't you, like, answer a prayer for me? I mean, you owe me. I mean, look at all I'm doing for you. How come you're not protecting me more from the circumstances of life? I mean, I mean, you owe me. I start feeling like, like I'm entitled to his blessings, even though others aren't. I've served him. They haven't. And I get to a place where I start feeling he's not living up to his end of the deal. But let me just tell you something. That's ridiculous. If God never answers another prayer for me or interacts in my life in any way, he's already done everything I need in life by dying for me. He will never owe me anything. I owe him everything. How dare me be the elder son? It ruins us. And because it's so dangerous, I've had to, I've had to learn to protect myself from it because it's so easy to start feeling entitled and owed and disappointed with God. I've had to, I've had to recognize the signs and I've actually developed questions that I have to ask myself. Am I, is my heart going bad? And I want to ask them of you right now. Instead of looking around, look within and ask yourself, right now, and I mean right now in this moment, are you experiencing intimacy with God? I mean real love intimacy, or do you kind of feel like you're at a distance from him, feeling a bit unloved, feeling that he's not watching over you, he's not seeing what's going on in your life, feeling just a bit used, disappointed? Right now, are you feeling anger and resentment? Life's not going like it's supposed to be. He's not protecting you like he is. You're unwilling to forgive others. And if you're unwilling to forgive others, it means you're unwilling to forgive him. Is that where you're at? Right now, are you comparing yourself to others? Maybe a bit jealous, maybe a bit judgmental. Oh, they have to be compromising God's truth or they wouldn't be blah, blah, blah. You wouldn't believe people have said, the only reason Northridge has ever grown is because Brad compromises God's truth. That's the only way. And what we're doing is we're comparing ourselves to each other. No, the only way Northridge has grown is because God took a broken guy named Brad and decided to do something with him. That's the only reason it's grown.
We have no right to judge others in this way, like be jealous of them like the elder did with the younger. Because when I start judging others that way, what am I saying? I'm saying I'm better than them. Now, this doesn't mean we don't recognize rebellion and bad hearts and wrong behavior. It means we don't set ourselves up as better than them. I don't care what your sin and I don't care what you've done. I know this. I'm just as flawed and just as broken as you. The good news is we can all come home. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we can all come home. Right now, are you wondering why God is using others in big ways and maybe not using you or blessing others in big ways? And I know God's done great things here at Northridge, but you know there are churches and pastors who've made a far bigger impact than we have. And those pastors, they write books that are bestsellers. I wrote a book. Forty people read it. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, I, there are times that I look at, I'm giving everything for you. and what, Why are they doing that and I'm here how come they can sell books and I can't even give them away I don't understand it <laughs> it's a bad question God doesn't owe me nothing you know it's a privilege the first church I passed was a church of 18 I didn't deserve that church let alone this church it doesn't matter how he rewards me externally he's made me a child of God and shouldn't that be enough I mean, really, that's where we should be. Right now, are you experiencing misery? Because if you are, you need to know you're not walking closely to God because you can't walk closely to God and experience misery. You've got to be filled with joy. Are you living in fear? Because if you're living in fear, that means you fear you're going to lose what's yours, that, that God's not watching out for you. That's where the elder brother was, but God's always watching out for you. We need to understand that this elder brother heart's killing us and realize these aren't one-time questions to ask. I have to ask them over and over again because we can become an elder brother in heart in one second. And the minute these attitudes start showing themselves in our lives, if we don't beat them down, they will creep into our hearts and start owning us and we will be far from God. I just, I just wonder, can you relate to any of these? I believe most of us here are dealing with greater relevance to the elder brother's heart than we are to the younger brothers even though we have younger brothers here too and I think we have to deal with them so if you recognize the elder son heart in your own heart what do you do well over time I've learned what I have to do and I don't like it to be honest because the elder brother never likes this answer do you know what I have to do to come home, to be close to the Father? Do you know what I have to do when my heart starts getting off track? I have to come home in the same way the younger brother comes home. And I don't like it because I think the younger brother failed bigger than me and I think I've done more than the, the younger brother. I, I think I'm better than the younger brother. And why, why should I have to come home in the same way? Because a bad heart always leads away from the Father and if I have a bad heart, I have to come home for a new heart. And so how do we come home? Well, just like the younger brother, we have to recognize the lie. You know, we believe a lie. We're better than them. We deserve something from God. No, we don't. We have to recognize that we're not better than anybody else. We don't deserve to be God's child more than others. God doesn't owe us anything. Look at Romans 3.23. For all, 
have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means me and you. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. You can't, you can't earn it. No one will ever be able to be proud about their relationship with God. It's an undeserving gift. Recognize the lie. Just because you're in church and other people aren't doesn't make you better. It just means you're experiencing the privilege. And if you feel like a slave, if you feel, if you feel like, oh my gosh, what an unbelievable duty to have to come to church. You know I had to shovel snow and drive in this crap to get out here. Was it? You know at Northridge I had to walk 12 miles in the parking lot to get up here. Do you know I have to deal with traffic and all that junk? God, you owe me. You might as well not come. Because we come because it's a privilege to be in a place that God is showing up and doing great things. And if we're going to truly walk with the Father and have this new heart, we need to recognize the lie and return to the Father. We need to return to him. Look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. The reality is when you live close to God... You aren't weary and burdened, no matter how hard life is, because you're walking close to God. He's shouldering the burden for you. If you're burdened and weary, it's because you're at a distance from God. It's a sign it's time to come home. If we're going to come home, if we're going to walk with the Father, we need to, we need to repent of our sin. And this is hard, because we feel like we haven't sinned so much, but there it is, right? So much. A bad heart's a bad heart, no matter how bad that heart is. We have to humble ourselves like the younger son did and come home saying, I don't even deserve to be a son because there's no celebration until there's surrender. Look at 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you know why the tax collectors and sinners were gathered around Jesus celebrating with him and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering and filled with hatred and anger because the younger sons confessed their sin and knew they didn't deserve to be there. It was the elder sons who thought they belonged there and the younger son was cutting into their space. Can I ask you, which are you? It's just time that we confess our sins and then... Like the younger son, if we're going to experience the father and come home, we need to receive the father's love. There he was, the elder son, living with his father all along and hating his father instead, resenting his father instead. He could have opened his heart and been a son, but instead he felt like a slave. And that's where many in the church these days are. Other people don't have to give, and I have to give. Other people don't deserve. I have to serve. Other people don't have to come to church. No, and I have to come to church. No, other people don't have to lift up Brad Powell week after week after week. <laughs> Better be worth it, God. Four wishes, not three. And we feel like slaves instead of like the privileged children we are. And we need to open our heart to him. Look at Revelation 3.20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. Do you know this is written to the elder sons? This is written to the people in the house of God. This is written to the people gathered like good sons but far away from God. God's having to knock on their door. 
And I believe he's knocking on many of our doors right now. Because we look like good sons, but we're at a distance from God, and we're not experiencing the pleasure of God, but the misery of life, and it's time we come home. So just before I give you the final thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a minute, just, just for a minute. And if you're here, you, maybe you're religious or irreligious, maybe you're an insider or feel like you're an outsider, I, whoever you are, maybe you're a believer already or not, I'm going to pray with you because we have to kind of make the same move, just open our life to him, recognize the lie, return to the Father, repent of our sin, and receive the Father's love. And I want to pray with you. So take the words of my prayer and make them yours if you're ready to open the door. Just say, God, in your heart to him, God, I, I recognize the lie. I don't deserve you. I'm not better than others. And I want to return to you. I'm weary and I'm burdened. And I need you to give me rest. And so I do repent of my sin. I confess my sin. I don't deserve to be your child, but you died for me. You rose again, and I'm asking you to forgive me, though I don't deserve it. And I'm hearing the knock, and I'm opening the door of my heart to your love, and I'm asking you to help me to experience it, the celebration of your love in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, please let me know. We've put together some information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God wherever you're at in that relationship. And I just encourage you, it's so easy if you're in one of our services, maybe there at Northridge Brighton or one of our other regional campuses or here at Northridge Plymouth, or all you have to do is take out the connection card in your program, fill it out and check off the appropriate boxes. And there are boxes at every single door leaving the auditorium, just look to your left or your right and throw it in there and we'll send you that information. And if you're watching online somewhere around the world, just hit the what next button. We'll do the same thing for you. We care about you. We're glad you're a part of this ministry. I believe a talk like this can really disrupt our heart. And some of you might really need someone to pray with or want someone to pray with or talk to. Our prayer team will be gathered up front after the service is over. You can come and they'd love to spend some time with you. But let me give you this final thought. When we genuinely recognize that we're not worthy to be God's children, when we really recognize that we're not entitled, we're not owed, we've done nothing to earn it, we, we're not worthy, it's then that we're ready to experience the privilege. It was the younger son who experienced the privilege of being celebrated as a son. The older son never did. Are you? Look at Luke 18, 14. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow. Here's how I do it for me. I, on a daily basis, I go through my prayer journal. I try and do it every day. And I look at 1 John 3, 1, which says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. That verse is simply saying, do you see what God, God has done in in showering his love on us that we who don't deserve it whether we were younger sons or elder sons we who don't deserve it get to be called sons and I read that and I've written in my prayer journal that I need to remember I don't deserve to be a son and so I check my heart am I living like I deserve to be a son today or am I living like I don't deserve to be a son 
Because the minute I live like I deserve to be a son, I'm no longer close to the Father, but I'm now putting myself at the center and I'm missing everything the Father has for me, in church or out of church. So let's always remember, we're not worthy to be God's children. Let's continue to humble ourselves and let's continue to experience and enjoy the privilege that Jesus made possible for us. A close walk with the Father. And when you walk hand in hand with the Father, that's when you experience everything you're looking for because life is not better without the Father in it. Life becomes life with the Father in it. Let's live hand in hand with the Father. I'm so glad you were here. Thanks, everybody.